1 John chapter 4. So today, it's really great to be back with you guys. Thank you, Caleb, for filling in, doing a fantastic job. <clears throat> so we're in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So what I want you to take from this message today is that the command to love one another means more than what we may commonly understand. There is a love, and there is love. Love is not all chicken soup for the soul. Love is very often affliction for our soul, for the sake of our salvation. Jesus certainly comforted the afflicted, but he also afflicted the comfortable. He did it often, and he did it very effectively. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gospel message. Thank you for the good news of your love for us and your command that we are to love one another. Father, help us to understand what it truly means to love not just on one side of the word, but on both sides of the word. That love is caring. Love is kindness. Love is doing those things for people that need to be done. That love demands, but love is also speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in love. For the truth, and only the truth, will set us free. So Father, we pray that you help us be a people who loves completely who will do the kind and caring things, but will also be a people who will speak the truth in love to those who are in most need of it. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these verses, we see that John has not stopped hammering home his message. Beloved, let us love one another. And you might wonder how many ways we can talk about love and loving one another but the Holy Spirit thought it important enough to provide a level of repetition that tempts us to say enough already. But of course, we're not going to say that. This is a message so vital, so basic, and so inspired that we would be in sin to not allow it to speak to us as the Spirit intends. There is much about the command to love one another we do not need to talk about today. We have the understanding of one side of this commandment, even if we do not always practice it particularly well. At least we know what we are to do. Like take soup to the sick, literally. You know, comfort the afflicted kind of love. But I want to focus on the other side of love we like to avoid, the afflict, the comfortable kind of love the Bible is full of. We avoid and ignore much of it because we have bought into the lie that afflicting the comfortable is not nice, much less loving. Of course, if we read our Bibles with both eyes open, we will quickly learn 
that the writers of Scripture and Jesus himself was not only very adept at it, but more than willing to afflict the comfortable. Why? Because this is what love demands. Love is not an option. We are commanded to love. It's not optional. In obeying the command to love, we need to make sure we understand what God is actually commanding us to do. Let me read these two verses again, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want to remind you that John's letter is about false teachers and false prophets and false doctrines within the church and weeding those out and pointing those out and making sure that the sheep, the flock, is protected from those false teachers. So when we read this letter, we need to read it and understand that John is not just talking about um, comforting the afflicted here. He is talking about afflicting the comfortable and making sure that we know the difference between truth and error. We can begin by pointing out that we are not being commanded to do something complicated here. That does not mean that it's easy. So if I were ask you to go out and take your shovel and go out on this baked blackland prairie and dig me a nice, spacious hole, there's nothing complicated about that. But it's also not an easy task that you would be undertaking. So loving is not complicated, but that does not mean that it is easy. We have taken the command to love and turned it into something so easy that no one is compelled to do the work. We have convinced ourselves the work will magically happen without us lifting a finger or a shovel. Love is not complicated, but it is hard, sweaty work very often. It is necessary work, for God commands it. And God manifests his love toward us so that we might live through him. This is what John writes in verse 9. Notice it is God who is the initiator in this is love, God, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So God is the initiator of this love. This is the love of God, that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. God manifests his love to us in Jesus so that we might live through Jesus. For me, that begs the question, what does it mean to live through the Son of God? If we're living through the Son of God, what does our life look like? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. And the answer, the short answer, the simple answer, the true answer is our lives should look like Jesus. And if our life looks like Jesus, that will surely manifest in our daily living. If our life looks like Jesus, then we are to love as Jesus loved. Thus the commandment, love one another. Now here's where the rub comes. If we're to love as Jesus loves, we're also to hate as Jesus hates. Don't lose me here. Don't, 
Don't, don't leave me. Stay with me here as we talk about this because this is very important. Jesus loved. We have no problem with that. But the love of Jesus also meant that he hated those things that threatened all that he loved. That is what good shepherds do. They hate the things that threaten the sheep they love, namely wolves. John's writing this letter about wolves among the flock. Jesus in John 10 talked about him being the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, but the hireling, when he sees the wolf, runs because he doesn't really love the sheep. Jesus also hated the people and the things that tarnished the character of his Father through their self-righteous and self-serving false worship. Think of whips and tables and money and money changers flying around the temple. Read Matthew 23 and see that Jesus calls those religious leaders a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. He was not very loving as he was afflicting the comfortable with his words recorded in the gospel. This begs the question of an example of something Jesus hated. The one glaring general example that we all can be sure of is sin. That seems very obvious. It is obvious, but what is not so obvious is what we may define as sin. The examples are endless, but let's look at some less obvious sins plaguing the modern evangelical church today, not excluding us here in Taylor. The one I would like to focus on today is the sin of failing to speak the truth in love. That may be too vague, so let's talk about the sin of loving yourself more than your neighbor, and all in the name of being nice and unoffensive and non-confrontational and non agitating, like the broke agitator in your old washing machine that still fills up with water but doesn't clean your clothes. We must love enough to tell the truth. Love absolutely demands we speak the truth and not skirt the issues to save face or feelings. To fail in this area is the height of selfishness. That is sin. And that is not consistent with loving one another. Before we go too far down this path today, I want to remind us that what we should, what sh- of what should be obvious. We must discern the difference between the wisdom of knowing what to speak and when to speak it versus the sin of allowing fear of our reputation in relationships to keep us from speaking the truth in love. In other words, we cannot get away with justifying our sin by refusing to love. So let's suppose a brother believes what he is consuming is actually good for him, and he enjoys it immensely. In reality, what he is consuming is poison. Besides the fact he has really grown to love this indulgence, he is such a nice person. Knowing him the way you do, You know how disappointed he will be when he finds out that you do not approve of his indulgence that he has grown to love so much. If we fail to tell our brother the truth about what he's ingesting because we are worried about his reaction reaction to us bursting his 
pleasure bubble, how loving are we actually? Instead of hitting it head on and telling the truth, we're prone in our modern sensibilities to come up with other options. Here's some examples. I could pray for him because prayer is definitely scriptural, right? I could intimate that perhaps he should ask the Holy Spirit to give him special revelation concerning his dietary habits. I could keep talking to him and give him every opportunity to bring up the subject, hoping and praying he does. I can make sure I don't burn any bridges just in case he decides to walk across. If I know telling the truth will lead to conflict, I may be more prone to take a less confrontational route since we know that confrontation is not nice. I could decide that it's none of my business and just trust that God's will be done. Now, you may think this is a ridiculous example. You might say no loving believer would knowingly allow his brother or sister to continue indulging in something that would lead to their destruction. At this point, we might pause and ask ourselves, do we, do we really believe that's true? Think about what's happening all around us all the time. The sad reality is that this is happening all around us all the time. And the church seems perfectly content with allowing it to continue. All in the name of love or being nice. And I submit to you today that it is neither loving nor nice to allow people to continue in their sin without warning them. So what we need to understand is that love is often confrontational. Why is confrontation in the truth seen as unloving or not nice or burning bridges? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Well, the answer is because that's what the world has convinced us is true. That it's none of our business... We shouldn't confront people, yet though the Bible is very clear, if we see a brother or a sister in sin, we are to humbly, gently go to them and actually confront them. That's what the scripture demands, but the world says, no, Jesus didn't do that. Here's an important point. We're not talking about confronting someone with the truth for the sake of us being right. That is sin. If you're confronting people for the sake of you proving yourself right, that actually is a sin. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about confronting our brothers and sisters with the truth and love because we are commanded to love them. We are also commanded to give witness to the truth of God. And if we love God and we love one another, we will not ignore the sin of our brothers and our sisters. When we are commanded to love one another, which must include speaking the truth in love, it's not about us being right. It's about our witness to the sovereign Lord of glory and His truth. It's about love. Yes, there is a right way and a wrong way and a right time and a right place and a wrong time and a wrong place to go about this. Wisdom dictates that and the Bible covers that in great detail. God does not, he does not need us to defend himself, but he has commanded us to speak as the oracles of God and to declare his truth no matter who it may offend. 
If we are afraid of man's reaction to the truth more than we fear God, the God of truth, then we do not have the love of God in us. To love God is to love His truth. To love His truth is to speak it and to live it and certainly not hide it. Like anything else God commands us to do, He gives us grace to grow into the tender boldness that we need in order to speak the truth in love. It's not that God expects you to be there all at once, but are you growing in that direction? We need to make sure that we are growing in that direction. This is why we encourage you to read the Word, to go to the Word. As John has already reminded us, we know, we know Him because we keep His commandments. 1 John 2, 3. And his commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. To love just as Jesus loved. That means to speak the truth as Jesus spoke it. Jesus did not protect people's feelings at the expense of proclaiming the truth. Jesus confronted people with the truth, both friends and enemies. He did not mince words, but exuded truth in everything he did. And in the end, it cost him his life. That is how much he loved. His life was a testimony to the truth, even unto his death. And ours is to be also. To love one another is to live true with one another. It is to resist the sin of sacrificing truth for the sake of appearing nice or sparing the feelings of others. There is a warning that must go here. We are not called to be mean-spirited. We're not called to be rude and enjoying those gotcha moments of truth when we get in that truthful dig. No, that's not what we're talking about here. That is sin, plain and simple, and it flies directly in the face of loving one another. Love must temper our conversations in all things. And we are to be firmly planted in the Word of God, and our love for God and for one another must be the motivating factor in our desire to speak and to live the truth. To use our liberty or our beliefs as a reason to sin is plain and simple sin. It's not loving. And just because something is true does not give us the right to bash people over the head with it. That's abusing our liberty. So we need to be wise and careful, but not so careful and not so unwise that we will not speak the truth. Love demands we open our mouth and allow God's truth to come out. And it's not our place to worry about the consequences when we are commanded and demanded to speak God's truth. God is love. The mantra of the world right now is love is love. The problem with this mantra is that the world does not know what love is love. They don't even know what this means. John writes this truth in verse 8 of chapter 4. God is love. One of the other sins often committed is to assume things about Jesus that are not true. But they sound true to the unlearned ear. We're all called to be like Jesus. But the real Jesus, not the world's version of Jesus. That means we're to love the same way the real Jesus loves. 
How do we know who the real Jesus is? We sang it today. Go to the Word. Don't read books about Jesus. Read the book He authored through the Holy Spirit. Read the Bible. Read it every day and read it as much as you can every day. A simple way to do this is to follow the reading plan. It's in the bulletin. It's online. Go to the Word. From His Word, you will learn what it means to love one another. For God is love. Love the way God loves in both hard and soft ways. But do not forsake the hard love of God because you have bought into the world's false definition of a soft Jesus. There is nothing soft about Jesus. He is the God who is love. And when love demands softness, He can be soft. But when love demands the hardness of the truth spoken, Jesus did not shy back from that, and neither should we. The modern evangelical church has fallen headlong into this sin of believing in and worshiping a soft Jesus. Many will flat not talk about sin. Social justice is the new flavor we are consuming as fast as we can, and it is poisoning the church. At this point, I remind you, fear not. God wins and His church will prevail against the gates of hell. But that does not mean we are not in a battle royale and it is yet to be seen what will happen to our nation we call America. There is no amount of scripture twisting, cultural gymnastics, hemming or hawing that we can do to justify what the church in America has done in compromising the gospel and making love one-sided to the point that it's not even love anymore. It's complete self-love and selfishness. Chicken soup for the soul is great, but it will not heal a terminal illness brought on by sin. In some Christian circles, to even talk about certain sins like abortion or homosexuality is actually, uh, and talking about them is actually sin and sinful is considered rude and unloving and unacceptable. I have experienced this personally. Though some are quick to remind you they agree with the theology, just not the method. We can agree, but we just can't express it that bluntly. Our response should immediately be, it should immediately be oh yeah? Why not? Jesus did. So why would we not? Express it that bluntly. Why not call sin, sin? Why do we think that's too blunt? When the Bible calls those sins sinful and an abomination, why would we shy away from the language of the Bible? Because we fear men more than we fear God. Besides some general statement about burning or building bridges, or Jesus would not say that, or love does not agitate like the broke washing machine that doesn't get the dirt out, we will come up with some lame excuse and simply dismiss you. They will come up with a lame excuse and dismiss you as unloving and not nice. That's not very Christ-like. We must be willing to accept, to accept their self-justifying critique and all their dismissiveness. We should also not fail to ask our self-righteous brother or sister how loving it is 
to allow a brother or sister to go unchallenged in their sin. How loving is that? When the Bible is very clear as to what we are to do. We're talking about loving one another today. This is a hard part of loving, part that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to engage in. But it is absolutely necessary for us if we truly love. When we allow sin to go unchallenged, the reality is we love ourselves more than the person we should be telling the truth. We do not love them. We are not trying to protect them or their feelings, but our own. It is the height of not loving. It is love that we are commanded to walk in, even when love demands hard things. Love does the hard and the messy work. Don't buy the lie of the world that so much of the church has bought into. I recently had a pastor tell me of going to a predominantly homosexual church that someone in his family attends. And this conversation was started by him to explain to me why I was wrong in being out there at the gay pride event on January or June 26th. He was quick to let me know that he did agree that homosexuality was sinful, but he did not agree with the method. And he also proceeded to let me know when he visited this predominantly gay church how wonderful it was to see LBGTQ people praising Jesus and worshiping God just like we do in our churches. And who is he or who is me or who are you to say that their worship is not valid? Well, if it's not for him or me or you to say, certainly the Bible tells us so. Can we agree? In fact, it is absolutely our place as believers to tell them so. Why? Because they're claiming to be part of the same body of Christ that we are. This is what John is addressing in this letter. Those who claim to be part of the body of Christ but are not because their doctrine is false and they're attempting to spread this false doctrine to the brethren. And he says, you can't allow that. You can't let that go unchallenged. You must speak the truth in love. The sincerity of worshiping sinners does not negate the sinfulness of their lifestyle. Call yourself what you want, but the Scripture defines who we are based on our love. If we love God, we will obey His commandments. We will walk in the light as He is in the light. If we love God, we will honor His Word and we will not lie about who God is or what His Word declares. We will also not lie to ourselves or to others in order to justify our sin. But that is exactly what we see happening in the church. Not just in the world. We expect it in the world, but in the church. And as the church, we must stand up and speak the truth in love. The God who is love has defined love for us, and He has also defined sin. In the beginning of this message, I talked about Jesus loving and hating. We love to talk about Jesus loving. We usually don't like to use the words Jesus and hate in the same sentence, but they fit. Jesus hates sin. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. He hates all sin. 
He hates sin and people who don't believe they are in sin. He hates sin, plain and simple. He hated it so much, he died to eradicate it in his people. All of our well-meaning will not save us from our sin and hell. Only Jesus can do that. The real Jesus, not the false version the world wants you to believe in. Those homosexuals worshiping God on Sunday morning, professing Jesus, loves them, loves their lifestyle, and justifies their sin as a normal way of life, will burn in hell if they do not repent of their sin and their rejection of Jesus. See, there's a lot of the church that does not even like the language I just used. We'll burn in hell if they do not repent. We don't like to talk about that. But yet Jesus talked about that. The Bible talks about that. And the Bible is very clear. If we do not repent of our sin, we will burn in hell. I mean, there's no easy way to slice this thing. It is what it is. It's what the Bible teaches us. And we as the children of God cannot be, be afraid of that language. Now, I'm not saying you just walk up to someone and tell them, hey, you're going to burn in hell if you don't repent. But I'm talking about people who are justifying their sinfulness, who are consistently living sinful lifestyles and justifying their sin and saying God approves of it. We cannot be afraid to use biblical language to confront them with the truth in love. We must have the courage to do that. That statement, that if they do not repent of their sin and their rejection of Jesus, that they will burn in hell, that statement is true. It's true for all repentant sinners, gay or straight. It doesn't matter what the sin is. This is true no matter how passionately people appear to be worshiping God, when in fact they are not worshiping God. In fact, they are lying about God. They're lying about His Word and they're lying about His holiness. And Jesus hates this. He does, because it's sin. And everything I just said is not unloving. It is actually true. The loving thing to do would be to tell the truth to those who are willfully suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Sins of omission are often committed in the name of love. So there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. There are things we do. There are things we don't do. In this it is the latter that we're talking about here. And these are the ones that very often trip us up. Ezekiel 3.18, Ezekiel the prophet writes, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked of his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. This is what we're talking about, sins of omission, the sin of failing to love. Love demands we warn men of their sin. How do we do that? The most important way is a loud and clear, consistent gospel message thundered from the pulpits of our churches as well as from the pulpits of our lives and our homes. This is what it means to love in deed and in truth. It is to love God and one another so much that truth cannot be kept within us, but would ooze out of our very being. 
In our love for God and for one another, we are boldly, we are to boldly and matter-of-factly address the issues so many in our modern churches will not address. So how do we get here? How do we get there from where we are? Again, go to the Word. Fill your heart and your mind with His Word. Ask the Father to grant you boldness and to fill you with the Holy Spirit to speak His Word. The more you pour the Word of God into your heart and into your mind, the more you will find yourself living under the power and the control of His Spirit. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. To live under the power and control of His Spirit. And you will grow in confidence and you will find God opening doors for you to speak His truth and love and to make disciples what we are all commanded to do by Jesus Himself. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God sent His Son and made a way for us where there was no way. Now we live through Him because God loved us and sent His Son to atone for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Obey Jesus Love God and love one another in both easy and hard ways. Beloved, do not be afraid to love as Jesus loves. This is the love God demands of us. That we love as He loves. That we walk as He walked. Now we prepare to come to His table. A table of love. A table of thanksgiving. And God is calling each one of us to Him. Respond in faith. Trust on His name. And welcome to Jesus. Let us stand. Each week we are privileged to gather in this place to assemble here to worship our Lord. Each week we are invited and privileged to come to His table to proclaim His body and His blood. The command of God, the command of the Lord Jesus is to love one another even as He has loved us. We are charged to love one another. We must answer that charge by loving the same way Jesus loved. In His love, Jesus hated the wolves tearing at His flock. He still does today. Now we are the ones called to hate with perfect love all that rages against God and seeks to destroy His church. Love contends for the truth against error in love. Yes, we are called to comfort the afflicted, and may we do it well with love tender and supreme. We must never forget we are equally called to afflict the comfortable. We must learn to do that well, for there are far too many comfortable in our churches today. May we, with love equally supreme, afflict them well. Love demands no less from us. Amen. Here is your benediction. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before.
the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is rise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen.